Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. Why? Because holding on to bitterness and resentment. Do you know what it does? When you hold on to bitterness and resentment, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. In the end, you're the only one who suffers. You're the only one who gets hurt from that. See, we are to forgive because God in Christ forgives us. But here's the important thing. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you just allow them to continue abusing you or hurting other people. See, forgiving someone doesn't mean that you you don't necessarily involve the police if a crime has taken place or been committed. See, over the years, I've heard of churches who don't report crimes that that take place in their churches to the police. They say, we're going to deal with that situation internally. And some of those churches have gotten in big trouble, and in some cases, rightly so, because usually what ends up happening is that they protect the perpetrator from the police rather than protecting the victim and any future victims from any future crimes. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's writing to the Christians in Corinth about a situation where some of them were taking each other to court and suing each other. And Paul says, this isn't good. I mean, think about the reputation of your church in the community. You're airing your dirty laundry publicly, and this isn't good. And he says, you shouldn't be doing this. He says, you should be dealing with these things internally. But that's a different situation. Let me explain. Those were lawsuits, right? So this is kind of like small claims court. This is like, you know, somebody in the church, you lend them some money and then they don't want to pay you back. So you go on Judge Judy and you make a big deal of it in the public. And I mean, that kind of stuff, really, we should be dealing with that stuff within the church. But when it comes to crimes, when it comes to things where people are are victimized or endangered, we need to remember that the laws and and the legal system are actually ordained by God in order to be a blessing, not just to us, but to society at large. Now, I anticipate the question, maybe not all of you would ask this question, but I'm sure somebody's thinking about this, like, well, what about Hitler? That's the big question with this section. Now, now let me be clear. I'm not naive, right? And I know that you're not naive, and that's why you ask these questions, because this chapter is painting a pretty rosy picture of, of the government, isn't it? But what about the Hitlers and the Stalins of this world? What about when the police are corrupt? What about when the government acts unjustly and unrighteously? Well, what does the Bible have to say about that? Well, it has quite a bit to say, honestly, Notice what it says in verse 2, that all authority is from God. And some people would say, well, what about Hitler? What about Stalin? What about evil rulers throughout history? All authority is from God in the sense that God ordains the institution and God allows people to get into those positions. But clearly, it is absolutely possible for someone to get into a position of power and then abuse that role and abuse that power. And if you read the Old Testament prophets, for example, they talk a lot about this, about how God is going to severely deal with those leaders who take advantage of their power and use it for evil rather than for good. And so in verse 5, Paul says, therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So keep in mind, what government is Paul talking about here? He's writing to the people in Rome who live in Rome, right, under the Roman government. Now, I don't need to tell you uh, all of the sins of the Roman government. Let's just say there were a few. Should I remind you that these are the people who nailed Jesus to the cross? 
Should I remind you that these are the people who, in just a few years after this letter is written, they will actually execute Paul the Apostle, the guy who's writing this, this letter, right? This is the government that said Christianity is illegal. They called it an illicit religion. They, they were a government who condoned morality. They, they were a government who persecuted Christianity. And so Paul is laying out here for us principles, principles which apply to all people at all times throughout history under all governments. But here's the thing to keep in mind. As we're told to submit to the authorities, the Bible also teaches us that submission to government is not absolute. It's not absolute. There are limits to it. And you know that's true of authority in every sphere of life whether it's in a family and marriage, whether it's in your role at work. Yes, we're encouraged to submit, but that submission is not absolute, right? There are limits to it. Absolute submission is due to God and God alone. So if the government or someone in authority commands something that God forbids or they forbid something that God commands, then obviously we are to obey God and not that human authority. He is our, our supreme authority. And there are examples of this in the Bible, quite a few examples. I'll just give you a few. For example, in the book of Acts, chapter 5, we read that the authorities come and they tell the Christians to stop preaching and teaching about Jesus. And they say, sorry, like respectfully, we're going to have to say no and, and we'll take the consequences, whatever they be. Because look, Jesus gave us a mission to go into all the world and tell people about him and the good news. And, and we have to obey God rather than man in, in doing that. Another example is found in the book of Exodus. Maybe you remember the story. When Moses was born, the Egyptian government gave a decree and an order that all of the newborn Hebrew babies had to be drowned in the river because they were trying to limit the, the growth of the Hebrew population. So they said, well, we're just going to you know, commit mass infanticide. Every baby that is born needs to be killed and drowned in the river. But the Hebrew midwives refused to obey that order. So that was an act of civil disobedience. They refused to obey the order because what the government was telling them to do was wrong. And then we have the book of Daniel, right, which is really interesting because in Daniel, we see Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right there, they're carried away into Babylon to this evil, unbelieving nation. And in, think about it, in the book of Revelation, the, the government that's used as an example of the worst possible evil government you can ever imagine is Babylon. That's the picture that's used, you know, because that's just the worst. And where are these guys carried off to? To Babylon. And not only are they carried off to Babylon, but they're given jobs in the Babylonian government. But yet they act so respectfully and they do such a good job in that system that they get promoted over and over again to higher and higher positions. Much like another person in the Bible who also worked for a pagan government, for an unbelieving government, that was Joseph, who again also worked so well under the leadership of the Egyptian government that he continually got promoted and then these people end up finding themselves in a position where one day they have an opportunity to do something great and to do God's work because of the position that they've attained by working faithfully in an unbelieving government system. And so we see an example that as believers, we have precedent for this, that there is a precedent for us participating in civic life and working under people who, who may not be godly people, but we respect their position and authority. And we can even through those means work ourselves up to a way where we're able to do the work of God through those positions. But here's what happens with Daniel. One day, the, the people come to him and they say, hey, Daniel, we made a new law for this special holiday. We're not allowing anybody to pray 
to any God except for the king for 30 days. So for 30 days, it will be illegal for you to worship or pray to any God except for the king himself. And if you disobey this law, then we're going to throw you in a pit of lions. Now, think about this. 30 days isn't really that long. I mean, 30 days, you know, I take 30 days off from from praying and going to church, right? I mean, who, who doesn't want to do that? Or you say, well, why can't Daniel just pray silently with his window shut, his door closed, laying in his bed? Why, why does he have to do any, you know, nobody will know. He can just continue praying and, and nobody will be the wiser. But what does Daniel do? It says that he opened up his window and he stood there at his window and he prayed out loud. Do you see what I'm saying? He, he could have not brought attention to himself. But he purposefully, there's an act of protest is what it was when Daniel did that. He was making a public protest that this law is wrong and I will not obey it because I have a higher authority. And he said, so no matter what comes, it was an act of protest, an act of civil disobedience. And Daniel was prepared to take the consequences. And so on the one hand, where the, where the Bible encourages us to respect and support the civil authorities, even if they are not godly people, we're to respect their position and honor God by honoring them and submitting to them. On the other hand, if the state is demanding what God forbids or forbidding what God demands, then it's actually our duty as the people of God to practice civil disobedience. So the question is this, how does the gospel shape the way that we relate to society. How does the gospel shape the way we relate to society? First of all, the gospel makes it clear that the core problem in our world is not a political one, it's a spiritual one. So the gospel makes it clear. What's wrong with the world and what's wrong with us as human beings is not a political problem. There is not a political solution to it. It is a spiritual problem. And what we need is we need a savior. We live in a world that is under the curse of sin and death. And no amount of legislation and no government is going to be able to fix that. What we need is a savior who can save us from our sins and make all things new. And so government has its place, but we don't put our hope in the donkey nor in the elephant, but we put our hope in the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who is able to redeem what is broken in the human heart. And we say, Lord, let your kingdom come. That's what we look forward to. That's what all of us are truly longing for if we're honest in our heart of hearts, a world of perfect peace, a world of true justice where there's no more sin, no more wars, no more pain, where things are finally right. And that is what we look forward to because of the gospel. That is what we hope in. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. 
And when we understand that, when we understand the gospel, here's what it does in regard to politics. It sets us free from getting too caught up in the politics of this world. Because guess what? Think about this. If the politicians who are in office right now or the ones who are going to be in the office in the future, if they just ruin this country and they drive it into the ground, you know, that doesn't really change anything for us. You say, oh, well, what if, what if, you know, they persecute Christianity? Well, keep in mind, he's writing to Romans in Rome. This has happened before, and it didn't end anything. God's mission went on. In other words, for us as Christians, it doesn't really change anything because our citizenship is not here on earth. Well, we are dual citizens, right? But our citizenship is in heaven, and it's from there that we await a Savior. Our hope is not in a comfortable life here and now. Our hope is in the kingdom which is to come, and the purpose of our lives here and now is not to make ourselves comfortable, but to fulfill the mission that God has given us. And so, you know, it's really easy to listen to all these political pundits. I I was watching this thing which was talking about the development of 24-hour news radio, and what they said is like, well, we have more time than we actually have news most of the time. And so what you end up with is all these commentators commenting on politics. And, you know, what they do, what gets ratings is outrage. And so that's what they're doing. They're just working us all up. They're getting all these political pundits. Everybody's got a comment, an idea on something. And they're trying to make us outraged all the time, particularly at people on the other side. And so well, we think about what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. He says that we as Christians are to be like soldiers who are sent on a mission. And here's what he says. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since the aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And I wonder if there aren't some of us who need to turn off the cable news networks and turn off the political talk radio because that's exactly what it's doing to us, right? You're getting all caught up in civilian pursuits, And when the truth is that God has a higher calling, God has a greater purpose for your life. See, and people who who disagree with you politically, just know this, they're not your enemies. Your calling in life, our calling as Christians is not to convert people to our political beliefs or ideologies. I mean, and think about it like this. We we live in a, a country right now that's so divided politically. If we make the mistake of associating Christianity or associating as Christians too closely with one political ideology, then what we are doing, whether we want to or not, what we are doing is we are alienating half of society, right? We are alienating those who hold a different political ideology, and that is a huge mistake. We have a higher calling and a greater purpose than that. And so as good soldiers, we're called to not get entangled in civilian pursuits. We have to remember what our mission is and where our hope lies. And that's why the gospel transforms the way we relate to society. In verses 6 and 7, Paul talks about everybody's favorite subject, which is taxes. And he says, pay your taxes, right? And here's, here's why it's interesting. In Matthew chapter 22... We read about a time when the Pharisees came to Jesus and, you know, they were always trying to find a way to discredit him in the eyes of the people. Uh, They thought that, you know, if they could come up with a question that would trap him where there was kind of no-win situation, then people would turn away from him. You know, get him to somehow make some people upset, right? Lose half of his his fan base, so to say. So they thought they had the perfect question, a no-win situation. They came up to him and this is what they said, teacher, We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. And you aren't swayed by anybody because you pay no attention to who they are. So they're really trying to butter him up with these first few words. And so they say, okay, here's our question. 
Tell us your opinion. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar? Now, this is a trap, and it's a pretty good one, too, right? Because there's no good answer to this question. If Jesus says, yes, you should pay the tax, then the people will be angry because they're expecting a liberator. And here comes Jesus. The Romans are occupying the country, and Jesus is telling them to actually fund them materially, like fund them financially. So on the other hand, though, if Jesus says, no, you shouldn't pay the tax, well, then they'll just report him to the Roman authorities. They'll have him arrested as a, for sedition and for um, insurrection. So what does Jesus say? It says, verse 18, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a coin used to pay the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this? Whose inscription is here? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left him and went away. The reason this answer blew their minds was because Jesus wasn't just saying, yes, you should pay your taxes. Jesus was saying something much deeper and much greater. He was flipping the whole conversation. See, just as Roman coins bear the image of Caesar, you and me also bear the image of a great king and a great ruler. We bear the image of God. The word of God says that we are created in God's image and we bear the image of God. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. In other words, you bear the image of God. Therefore, you belong to him. So yeah, pay your taxes and all that. But much more importantly, Give yourself over to God, all that you are, your abilities, your body, your talents, your time, your mind, everything that you are. And that brings us to our second point. It's a good tie-in here to our second point, which is how the gospel shapes our relationship with culture. He says in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. In other words, God is calling us to live radically different lives than the surrounding culture that we live in. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul paints this very vivid picture of how countercultural this life is that he's calling us to. He says, I call you to be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation amongst whom you shine as lights in the world. What he's saying is, if you live like this, if you bless and do not curse, if you truly love others, it will be so different, so radically different that people will not be able to ignore it. They will absolutely have to take notice. Verse 11, because you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us now than it was when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light and let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So these verses taken together, what they do is they, they give us a picture of how the gospel shapes our relationship with the culture at large that we live in. And here's what it is. We neither shut ourselves off from the culture, nor do we conform to the culture. 
So we don't shut ourselves off, nor do we conform. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, we read the prayer that Jesus prayed over his disciples at the Last Supper. After he told them, you know, tonight's the night. I'm going to be crucified. You guys are continuing the mission with the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to be with you anymore physically. And then he prayed over them. And here's what he prayed. He said, Father, I do not ask that you remove them from the world. Rather, I ask that you keep them from the evil one. But then he said, just as you sent me into the world, now I am sending them. In other words, they were to be in the world, but not of the world. They were sent on a mission to go into all the world and be salt and light and bring the message of life and hope. And you can't accomplish that mission unless you're fully engaged, unless you're engaging with people. And that means engaging with culture. God has a purpose with us. Do you know that? Otherwise, he would have taken us out of this world when we got saved. But for some reason, he's left us here. And he tells us what that reason is. He still has more to accomplish in this world, and he wants to accomplish it through us. God has more to accomplish in the world, and he wants to accomplish it through us. He has a mission for you. He has a mission for us. So as Christians, we aren't just kind of biding our time and holding our breath and hoping that we die soon so we can go to heaven. No, we're called to use the time that we have on earth to carry out his mission. Now think about this. There are a few things that you can only do in this life that you will not be able to do in heaven, right? So there's some things which, like if your goal in this life is just to know God really well, well, don't you think you're gonna be able to do that in heaven a lot better, a lot easier, and, and, a, and a, a lot more effectively? Or, or worship, right? We're, these are all good things, and we wanna do these things, but we're gonna spend eternity knowing God and worshiping God, but there are a few things that you can only do here and now. Let me give you some examples. So number one, relieving suffering. You know that in heaven, there's not going to be any suffering. So in this life, you have the opportunity right now to be God's hands and feet and to relieve suffering in this world. Another one is that you can meet someone's needs practically and physically. That's not going to be possible for all of eternity, but it is possible right now that you get to shine the light of Jesus by meeting somebody's needs. And another one is this, obviously, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, the hope of salvation with somebody. That is not something you're gonna be able to do in eternity. That is something you can only do here and now. And so the way that we relate to culture in light of the gospel is this. We understand what time it is. We understand what time it is. He said in verses 11 and 12, our salvation is near. It's just around the corner. The night is almost over. Soon the new day will dawn. In other words, there is a sense of urgency there's not a lot of time left. Make sure you use the time that you have well. Don't get caught up in civilian pursuits. Don't waste your time on stuff that detracts from your mission and from your witness, but walk in the day and shine brightly in a dark world and make much attention for Jesus. So we don't shut ourselves off from culture, nor do we conform to the culture, but we live as missionaries within the culture that we find ourselves in. People on a mission from God in the world, but not of the world, clothed with Christ as our righteousness and not making any provision for the flesh. So in conclusion, you know, what we see here in this chapter is that the fact that we are citizens of heaven radically changes the way that we live here on earth. On the one hand, we are fully engaged and yet we are radically different, fully engaged and radically different. The gospel gives us a whole new perspective and it gives us a whole new agenda. And so we look to Jesus, the one who came to this earth, not for his own benefit, but for our benefit. We look to Jesus who gave up heaven and came to earth so that we who live on earth might become citizens of heaven through him. He was forsaken so that we could be accepted. He died 
so that we could live. He rose from the grave so that you could experience everlasting life and the everlasting kingdom. It'll be here before you know it. The day is dawning, but until that day comes, we have a mission in this world. And so Jesus said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what is God's. So let me tell you that today. You bear the image of God. Are you giving yourself wholly over to him? Lord, as we, can, we consider these things uh, from your word, Lord, first of all, we thank you for your grace in, in what you have ordained. And Lord, that we thank you for those who, who do serve us in our society and do your work in those ways. Lord, may, may we be good citizens. May we be lights in this dark world as we follow you. And Lord, help us to find that balance between when, when there are times when uh, we need to obey you and not man. Lord, would you show us those things? Give us wisdom as we walk through those things. And more than anything, Lord, we, we take away from this section what you said, Jesus, that uh, we bear the image of God and therefore uh, we owe you our lives. We owe you our all. And I pray that today we would do that, that not a single person in here today would leave without having said, yes, I, I give you everything that I am, every part of my life, uh, all of my soul, all of my being, I give it to you, Lord. Be king over me. We pray that in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.